Good morning, Willow Bend. Good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Get some life in here. So um, I, I, I wanted to also mention because um, I just I get I get excited and I just forget stuff. Um, but you know, introducing Eric this week as a new member and introduced Ron uh, a couple weeks ago as a new member and um, a couple months ago Jasmine here. But if but if that's something that you would like to um, uh, consider here, all right. Um, just kind of here's the process here. Um, uh, uh, just alert me, and what we'll do is we will schedule a um, a next steps class. And typically, what happens is, but we're flexible here. But typically, um, we're just going to go have lunch after service, and uh, uh, with myself and one of the elders, um, and and kind of give you an overview of of what who Willow Bend Church is, what we value, what's what's important here, and let you ask questions. Um, and then at that point, um, we, we kind of let the ball be in your court, like if that's something that uh, lets you pray about it. Uh, I do think that, um, that church membership is important. It's not directly spoken about in the New Testament, but it is um, indirectly, um, it's, it's there. Uh, the, uh, the, like one of the things is like in the Old Testament, in the New Testament church, there's such a thing as um, excommunication. Well, how do you... How do you let somebody go if they've never actually been in? You know, that's kind of a weird thing. One of the other things is like, you know, they, they, they charge pastors and elders to keep careful watch over the flock that they've been entrusted to. All right. That's part of God's calling on my life. Well, how am I supposed to know who's in the flock? I mean, does that count all the people at Prestonwood? I'm going to have to go over there and tell, hey, Mr. Graham, I'm, I'm here, you know, uh, you know, no, no. It's it, so membership's a way of sitting there saying it's like, hey, I'm, I am, I'm a part of here. I believe God has placed me here. And the scripture says that God arranges the parts of the body. The, the church is a body. God arranges the parts of the body as he, uh, as he pleases. So I believe the best way um, to pursue a membership at a church is by letting God give you the lead on that. Right. Like, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people, they just kind of hop and hop and hop and hop and try to find a place that they feel that fits the best. Uh, Good for you with that. But um, I really think that uh, a more biblical approach is, dear God, where do you want me to be? Where do you want to use me? Where do you want me to grow from and let God lead? And when when you have a sense of God's leading, um, you don't you don't disconnect easily. Because no matter where you go, people are going to let you down. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to misunderstand people. That's going to happen anywhere in, in, in any capacity. But if you have a sense that I'm here because God wants me to be here, you stick it through. Same's true in marriage. All right. If, if your marriage is one where it's like, well, I just picked the best person I could find at the time that I was in the mood. Um, you know, when life gets tough, you just like, well, I don't know about this. All right. But if you have a sense that it says, you know what? God has put me together with this person that when life deals you the good and when life deals you the bad, um, you stick with it because it wasn't you. It was about seeking what he what he wants and trusting in his wisdom. All right. Same that same is true in marriage as it is in, in, um, in a church relationship. So if that's something that you would like to explore, find out more about the church, I just invite you to um, very relational here. Come talk to me. We'll schedule a time um, and, uh, and just uh, let you know a little bit more about uh, uh, who Willow Bend is, what God has planned for us, and where God is leading us. And if that's something that you want to be a part of, um, you take that next step, and uh, one day I might introduce you to everybody as a new member, just like I did Eric and, uh, and Ron here recently, okay? Um, 
Anyway, so just just a little bit about that. Um, This summer, we've been talking about the comeback, that God is the God of the comeback. Um, All of us need a comeback at some point in life, if not at multiple places in life, because in life, you're going to take your your share of hits. You're going to go through difficulties, uh, trials, tribulations, accidents. You're going to mess up on your own. We all need a comeback. All right. And uh, today uh, we're going to talk about how do you come back? After you have let God down, coming back after you've let God, have you ever felt like you've let God down? Maybe you've um, made a promise to God, a vow to the Lord, only you just didn't keep it. Uh, You promised God, I'll never do such and such. And then you, you break the promise and you do the very thing you swore you wouldn't do. Or, or maybe you promised God that you would be faithful that, that you'd be faithful in church, faithful in reading your Bible, faithful in um, uh, studying, faithful in prayer, only to find out that your vow uh, had about as much significance as a typical uh, New Year's resolution. Good for about a week and a half, maybe. Um, those kind of things can be hard to come back from. I mean, cause the, because of guilt and, and shame. Um, uh, your own personal disappointment. I mean, it can leave a person feeling as though that, as though that you just don't deserve another chance from God. And he's already given you enough and you've, you've failed him. You've let him down. I mean, how, how can you come back when you don't feel as though you deserve God's forgiveness? That kind of shame will make a person want to hide from God. Um, it'll, uh, it, 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 it will make a, uh, it, it, it'll make a person, um, they, they won't even consider a comeback, um, much less even try. That kind of uh, shame, it, it makes a person want to avoid the things of God. They'll, they'll avoid church and Bible study. Even, even as you're scrolling through the radio stations, you, know, you, you might have the Christian station program, but you're like, I can't listen to that right now. That's what that kind of shame does to a person. How do you come back from the shame of breaking a promise or letting God down. See, I need you to know, you can come back from that. Um, I want us to look, you, you need to know that not, not only can you, but God wants you and God will do the legwork to get you to that place. I want us to look at a story today from somebody who broke his promise to God and how God gave him a comeback. The story of Peter. The setting in this moment of his promise is the, uh, it's the upper room. It's the night that Jesus is arrested. And Jesus has gathered his disciples and they're, they're, they're participating in the Passover meal. And, and Jesus is, is teaching them. He's showing them important things right before. And he knows what's ahead of him. And he's preparing them to deal with what's ahead of them. He lets them know that, um, that the next 24 hours is going to be tougher than any of them could imagine. And in Luke chapter 22, Jesus speaks to Peter. Starting in verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. See, Jesus is preparing Peter for his upcoming failure. Now, Peter is filled with, with self-confidence. I mean, he can't imagine his faith failing. 
I mean, in his mind, he is a fully devoted follower of Jesus and nothing could change that. I mean, why not think like that? I mean, he's Peter. He he was the only disciple who had faith enough to step out on the water and walk with Jesus. Of the 12 disciples, Peter, Peter stands out as a leader of the 12 disciples. Um, it's easy to discern that that Peter, James and John, they had a closer uh, relationship with Jesus than the other nine. But among those three, Peter stood out as as a, as a leader. He was he was prominent. And Peter could tell this when Jesus walked up the mountain and he was transfigured and and the voice of God was heard and and the the disciples saw uh, Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. It it was a miraculous moment. It's one that it's even hard to uh, to 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 comprehend. There were three disciples with him, Peter, James and John. Peter was up there on the mountain. Why not be confident in his faith? Jesus once asked this serious question. He asked, who who do people say that I am? They gave an answer. He said, well, who do you say that I am? Peter gives an answer. And here's and it was such a good answer. Jesus responds to Peter this way. He says, this is Matthew 16, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I mean, he thinks I'm Peter. I'm the rock. Who else has been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven? I'm the most loyal, committed of all the followers. I left my fishing Jesus, my fishing business for Jesus. I, I got to be there when he was transfigured. I'm part of the inner three. I walked on water. My faith won't fail. Jesus, I won't fail you. I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll sacrifice for you, Jesus. I'll fight for you, Jesus. And in Luke 22, verse 33, it says, Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter was so sure of himself, so filled with self-confidence. He honestly believed that he was so committed that, to Jesus that he would be willing to die for Jesus, go to jail for Jesus and with Jesus. I mean, he was just ultra-devoted, super-disciple. Jesus, everyone else will let you down, but not me. I'm with you to the very end. And in verse 34, Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. See, later that evening, Jesus and his disciples, they go up to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is praying He's praying about what's about to happen. Uh, Jesus knows that he's about to give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of many. He is praying. He is in anguish. And he is, he is begging his disciples, would you just pray with me? Be with me. You're the closest companions I have. And I'm about to be utterly alone, abandoned by everyone, including God. Please pray with me. And the disciples, including Peter, could not stay awake. Jesus kept waking them up. Can't you stay awake and pray with me? Peter does finally wake up from his sleep, but he's woken by the authorities as they come to arrest Jesus. Peter witnesses them coming with swords and clubs and, and torches, and he, he remembers his promise, and he, he springs into action, and he says, I'm going to be bold for Jesus, and he draws a sword, but he doesn't attack a soldier, and he doesn't attack a, a, a priest. No, he 
he attacks the servant of the high priest, a man named Malchus. Uh, he says, I'll fight for you, Jesus, but not that guy. He's armed. And not that guy. He's important. I'm going to strike this servant, Malchus. And he cuts off the ear of a guy named Malchus. Jesus picks up the ear and, and puts it back. He heals the man, tells Peter, put away the sword. That's not our way. They arrest Jesus and every disciple runs away, including Peter. Later on, Peter, he's lurking in the shadows. He's wanting to see what's going to happen to Jesus, but, but he keeps his distance because he's no longer that committed follower of Jesus. No, he's committed to himself, his own preservation. A little girl asks him, aren't you a disciple of Jesus? And he emphatically denies, I am not. A group are warming themselves by a fire and they say, aren't you one of those guys that walk with Jesus? He says, no. Lastly, a, a man, a relative of Malchus, a relative of the man who got his ear cut off. He says, I think I recognize you. Aren't you one of Jesus's disciples? And he denies Jesus. In John 18, 27, it reads, Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. Now imagine that moment. All night, he's been running scared, hiding in the shadows. Less, less than 24 hours ago, he was declaring his allegiance to Jesus. He's willing to die and be in prison. Now he lacks the faith and commitment to, to acknowledge his relationship to a little girl. The day before, he's Peter, the bold, the strong. Now he's Peter, the weak and afraid. And the rooster crows and he remembers Jesus' words predicting his very thing that he's just done. Jesus emerges from the house of Caiaphas. He's shackled, he's beaten, he's been mistreated, and their eyes meet. And suddenly Peter is shamefully aware of just how weak he is, just how frail he is, just how selfish he is, just how dishonest he is. And he sees Jesus beaten, battered, abused, and, and, and he was supposed to be with him at his side during this time, but he's... Abandon Jesus. He slinks off into the shadows. Afraid, ashamed. He has let God down. And from a distance he learns that Jesus. Is crucified on a cross. That Jesus has died. Shame and grief overwhelm him. But on Sunday. News starts to stir. That the tomb is empty. That Jesus. Is risen. This news sparks new energy in the disciples, but, but Peter let God down. Peter promised to be faithful, and he publicly denied knowing Jesus. That's great news about the resurrection. That's great news, hope for mankind. That's great news for the rest of the disciples, but, but, but he's not going to... I denied him. I promised. I let God down. No way Jesus would want me after I let him down like that. Peter goes back to the only thing he knows how to do. He was a fisherman before. He failed as a follower of Jesus. Now go back to being a fisherman. And in John 21, we read these words. Starting in verse 4. It says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said, I'm cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. 
So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciples whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, about 100 yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place and fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some fish that you've just caught. So Simon, Peter, went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him who you are. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, there was, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And in verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I want you to notice that Peter's comeback is initiated by Jesus. So oftentimes we think that after we've let God down, that that we need to make up for our failure, that, that we need to earn our way back into his graces. But that's not how grace works. I mean, if if grace is never earned. So Jesus is the one who starts Peter's comeback. And there's this interesting play on words that you can only see when you read the original language. It's it's not apparent in English, but it is most remarkable in Greek. God was so wise um, to communicate the truth of the gospel um, when he did and and how he did and and the the things in the world as they were. Uh, God was so wise. The Roman Empire had made it so that travel was relatively safe. It made cities and regions connected. It made it so that that there was a commonality by which people could could present the gospel from. Prior to the Romans ruling, the Greeks were the dominant culture. Um, They 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 ruled so much. They had so much of a a huge influence because of of what Alexander the Great did. Um, Their influence was widespread. Much of the Roman success was built upon the prior success of the Greeks. And for much of the ancient world, the common language among different people in different places was the Greek language. I mean, the Romans spoke Latin. The Jews spoke Hebrew. But when the New Testament was written, it was written in Greek. The Greek language, it is a uh, intricate, precise and beautiful language. It, It communicates on a level that English just can't. When you think about it, English developed in the, um, the, the northern regions of Europe where it's cold, where life is hard. Um, uh, if you wanted to eat growing up in that area, you had to work. I mean, to dig a potato out of a frozen 
chunk of land, that's work. That, that, that's labor. The, the people in northern Europe who developed English, um, they didn't sit around philosophizing about the deeper meanings of things in life. No, they had to get out there and find something to eat that day. Life was hard. Life was work. Life was different in the Mediterranean. It was warmer. Things grew in abundance. Think about um, this. Where did all the great ancient philosophers come from? It was Greece. Because in, in Greece, life wasn't as hard. You could sit around and think about the deeper meanings of things. And so the Greek language is more precise, all right? Um, uh, when, when you read a passage um, like this in the book of John, it read in English, it comes across, it comes across quite, very straightforward and simply. But when you read it in the Greek, you see an incredible truth about God and about man. Three times Jesus asked Peter if he loves him. Three times Peter answers, yes, I love you. Simple, straightforward. English has one word for love. And that word can be used to describe the way a man loves his wife or the way a man loves the Dallas Cowboys or chocolate or, um, you know, I mean, uh, all kinds of things. It's the, the Greeks said, man, that, that one that's like the way I love my wife is not the way that I love chocolate. It's not the way that I love my brother. These are different things. The Greeks had four different words for love, um, three of which were used on a common, um, were used commonly. The first is eros, all right? Um, uh, we get our word erotic from it. It describes a sensual, romantic love for a person. Uh, if a person were to say they felt eros for their wife, you would think, well, that's appropriate. But if they said they had erotic feelings for chocolate or for their car, you would think, that person is weird and creepy. Romantic love has its place, but it's not the right word to describe feelings for a co-worker. The second word that the Greeks commonly used was uh, phileo. It describes brotherly love. Uh, the city of Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. Now, if you were to watch... Uh, ESPN and see how the Philadelphia fans treat fans of other football teams, you say, I don't know about that brotherly love, but they named it the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. It builds out of phileo. The third commonly word used for love is agape. And this is the only word ever used to describe the love of God in the New Testament. Now, the Greeks did use that word agape for things other than God, but in the New Testament, only agape is associated with the love of God. So Jesus comes to Peter and he asks him, John 21, 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love, do you agape me more than these? He says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. It's an incredible moment of honesty. That we see here in Peter. On the night that Jesus was arrested. Had Jesus asked Peter. Do you love me the way God loves? He would have said absolutely. I am I'm the most devoted follower of you Jesus. I would never fail you. Everybody else would fail you. But I love you on a level. That's up there with God. But after him failing. After he's aware of his own weakness. Of his own selfishness. 
Peter doesn't pretend to be something he's not. He's aware of his inability to come through. He knows that when the going gets tough, that he will cut tail and run. And he knows that Jesus knows this as well. So when Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me the way God loves? Peter says, Jesus, you know. You know that I phileo you. You know I just love you like a brother. Peter's no longer pretending to be something he's not. He's no longer to show, he's no longer trying to show off what he knows, trying to look better than others. He's no longer trying to impress. He is being completely honest before Jesus about what is real. You know, in the Old Testament, you see these two kings, the first two kings of Israel, a guy named Saul and a guy named David. Saul uh, offers a sacrifice that he wasn't uh, um, permitted to offer. And it was wrong for him to do it. David commits adultery and murder. But when confronted about their sin, Saul blames others. David acknowledges it in honesty, what he did, and that what he did was wrong. He made no excuses, and he confessed his sin to the Lord. And because of that, he is known as a man after God's own heart. Look, some of you, you may be missing God's work in your life because you won't admit you're wrong. You've always got to spin things. Not your fault. Somebody else caused you to do it. It's the circumstance. It was this and that. It's anything but you. You've got too much pride to admit it's your fault. They did it. They caused you to do such and such. It's not your fault. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. James 4, 6 reads, But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, when God puts you on the road to a comeback, like he did Peter, you've got to be honest about yourself. You must take ownership of your failures and sins. If you can't be honest about yourself with God, then you will spend your life pretending to be something you're not before people. And God will let you do laps around the same mistakes. Just going around and around and around until you get tired of your lies and you're ready to be honest and come clean. God's eternal. He can wait us out. John 21, 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me the way God loves? Jesus, you know, I only love you like a brother. And then something incredible happens in the original language. Look at verse 17. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Peter was grieved because he said, to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. See, here's the thing about Jesus. He doesn't need you to be perfect for you to come to him. He doesn't need you to do better, to fix yourself before he can use you. All he needs you and I to be is honest. Honest. 
People think that, that coming to God is like climbing a mountain and that the harder you try, the, the better you become, the higher you climb, the closer you get to God. The gospel tells us that such thinking is simply false. Because no one can make that climb. It's humanly impossible. And even the most religious, moral person in the world, it's still impossible for them to get near to God. The gospel tells us that God doesn't insist that you come to him by your own merit and strength. The gospel tells us that God will come to you and meet you where you are. And that's what Jesus does for Peter here. Jesus knew precisely where Peter's devotion was. I mean, he he knew it before Peter failed him. He predicted it. Jesus will always meet you where you are. And when you can be honest about your flaws and failures and sins, then Jesus can take that and help you get you to where he wants you to be. I want to point out one other thing in this comeback story. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And I want you to notice um, Jesus' reply to Peter in his honesty. He says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. In Matthew 25, Jesus teaches uh, about when the end comes that, that he's going to... Uh, Call us up from the sky and he's going to separate people like a shepherd separates sheep and goats. And, and those who are the sheep, they have done as well. They've had a relationship with him and he's going to invite them into the kingdom. And he says, going to say, well done, my good and faithful servants. Those who are on the goat side. He's going to say away from me, you evildoers. They're going to be cast into hell. The sheep in his story, they're the ones who are saved. They're, they're the ones who will enter heaven. The goats are not saved. When the end comes, you want to be on the sheep side of things. I'm telling you, an advance warning. Uh, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. In the, in the Bible, sheep are often symbolic of people belonging to, to God. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. See, Peter's comeback is meant, it's meant to help care for the people who belong to Jesus. Remember when Jesus predicted Peter's denial? Let me show you. Back in Luke 22. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith might not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. You know, when we feel like we've let God down, we've got this tendency to become very self-absorbed. We start thinking, my reputation my shame, my disgrace, I, I need to get out, I need to leave, I need to quit. Those are the wrong responses. We, we think failure is something to hide, but it's meant to be something to help others. Help others avoid that same mistake. Help others recognize their need. Help others walk this path with Jesus. Help others learn from your mistakes. Strengthen others. You know, God has begun a comeback for Willow Bend Church. I mean repairs are being made. Things are being cleaned up. Finances are coming back to where they need to be. But this comeback that God is giving us. It's so that his, this church will feed his lambs. Tend his sheep. Strengthen the brothers. We're going to have to. And this is God's will. 
take emphasis off of facilities and stuff and emphasize it on people. People are a lot of people hurting in this world. It's God's purpose and plan for us. He wouldn't give us a comeback if that wasn't his plan. He wouldn't give Peter that comeback. That wasn't his plan. Feed my lambs. You know what a lamb is? That's the little version of a sheep. Think about what that means. How we ought to respond to that. Feed a sheep. Tend a sheep. Strengthen the brothers. That's the comeback that he puts us on. Not just for you. It's for all these other people that he loves so much that he sent his son to give his life on a cross that they might be brought back to God. That they might have a restore relationship with God and have a, a renewal that happens in their life from their heart outward. What he's doing for you. What he's called us to do together. So let me ask you this. Where are you today with God? Is there some failure in your past that's holding you back? That your shame won't let you take a step toward Jesus? You think God's better off without you? The church is better off without you? Faulty thinking. God doesn't need you to fix yourself. He'll do the fixing. You could just be honest about it. And once you're able to be honest with God, you'll be more free to be honest with people. And God will use that. That's where he'll strengthen the brothers from. He'll use that. What about you? I've seen people, they sit there and say, you know what? I will give my life to God once I get this, this, and this put in order. I, I, I've got to get things fixed before I come to God. You don't have to. That's just pride. You can humble yourself. God will start the transforming work in your life today. You don't have to fix anything. You've got to be honest. You just got to be honest. Own it. Don't hide it. Jesus will do a work. And then, He'll empower you. Empower you to do things for the good of others. That's our God. Father God, I just thank you for your word. And I thank you for what Jesus shows us here. We've all let you down, God. We've all done things that we promised we, didn't, we wouldn't do again. We've all done things that we tr truly wished we wouldn't have done. You see the depths of our hearts. And you love us the same. You are amazing, God. Father, I pray today for anyone here that just has some shame or guilt as a barrier between themselves and you that today your love would break through and they could, in all honesty, let you begin the restoration and healing that you promise. God, I pray that if there be one here today who has not given their life to you yet and trusted in your son Jesus to be saved, 
They're, they're trying to fix things first. Father, you'd speak to their heart right now. That they might just come to you as they are. Broken and flawed, but honest. That you would even save them today. And Father, for this church, I thank you for all the things that you're doing to, to make this a comeback church. Help us to see your purpose in that. That it is for others. That it's not simply for us. But that, that there are those who belong to you and will belong to you as they turn their life over in faith to Jesus Christ. That we need to feed and tend and strengthen. And we trust in you to lead and guide us in that. Father, Thank you for what Jesus did for us on that cross. He did something that we could not earn. That we do not deserve, but we desperately need. Pray these things in his name. Amen.